Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash remote. I'm sitting here with my good friend. As This is not per the usual. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Joe Magnotti from empireflippers.com to the program. Sitting in for Ian. I figure we'll just do a gossip section behind his back this week. What do you say? Oh, boy. The chismis chismis coming out. <laughs> We've got a phone number, 888-554-8428. We've got a bunch of phone calls this week, so let's just jump right into them. Dan and Ian, this is Patrick Kitchens with MyFoundationFitness.com. Just want to give you a shout. I'm on my drive from Washington, D.C., back to my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio. And just wanted to let you know that I have listened to four of your podcasts on my drive so far, and it's just pretty typical. Love what you guys do. It's always an inspiration to go back to all the content that you guys put out. Uh, just opened a brick and mortar in Cincinnati, Ohio, fitness training compound. And as always, with the early phases of dropping a whole lot of cash, yeah, you got to make sure your processes are tight, you're making the right decisions, and I resource you guys to keep me on point because you guys are ballers doing shit right, and I just wanted to say thanks and keep rocking the good stuff. Hey, Patrick, congratulations on the new gym and keep cracking. That reminds me, Ian and I are going to start doing a, uh, Ian has this concept called clicks and bricks, a combination of e-commerce and having a real back-end infrastructure to your business on the ground. And we're going to do a monthly segment talking about portable bar company and, and stuff like that on this show. So that's cool. Love the bricks and mortar stuff too. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's some value in that. I mean, this It doesn't mean you can't be location independent either, right? I mean, that's part of our message that we gave to the microconf guys is if you have process in place, if you have a business that's doing things that with real value, uh, you can you can do it location independently. So I mean, we have we have everything that you would think not to have. We have corporate processes in place. We've got a warehouse, and uh, we've been moving all around over the, the last few weeks and few years. So yeah, you got a staff and a CEO. That's all you need. <laughs> all right, we got a phone call from Max at ClickInterview.com. Hey, Indian. This is Max from ClickInterview.com. Just wanted to say I just got done listening to episode two twenty about email marketing, and I just wanted to say that I'm really happy to see you guys getting back into the meat and potatoes of your podcast. Um, I know I, I do enjoy the uh, philosophical uh, podcast, but uh, it was a nice uh, breath of fresh air to uh, hear some really good content on email marketing and you guys dissecting how to uh, market to clients and uh, what you guys are doing in, with your businesses. So... Keep it up. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Cheers, Max. I totally agree. And uh, uh, Max pumped about the nuts and bolts content. And 
we're going to be trying to bring a lot more of that stuff to the show and maybe even having some more of our team members on the show so that they can share sort of they've got their hands in the engine parts and and they can share some of that data on the show here. Agree. When we do uh, the podcast with Justin, I, I push the, the nuts and bolts stuff. I love talking about that stuff. But, you know, he did mix it up every once in a while, too. We got a phone call from James with a critical question about beaches in Southeast Asia. Let's give it a listen. Hi, this is James from IslandWebsite.com. Just want to say thank you so much for creating such an amazing podcast. In the last year, I've quit my job in relentlessly working on my internet business. And now I'm chilling out here in Chiang Mai. But I have a problem. I need a beach. I really need a beach. Where in all of Southeast Asia can I go to meet other like-minded internet entrepreneurs uh, on a beach? Simple, right? Thanks. Yeah, so... uh Where's the best beach in Southeast Asia to meet up with other internet entrepreneurs? There's not really a dominant force. And I think that's part of the magic. I mean, if you look at a place like Davao, you could live on the beach in Davao. I mean, you live close to a beach. It's not a great one, but you could live over on Small Island or something like that. But look at what you guys have done with Davao. I mean, me and you, to, to justify all our vagabonding over the last few weeks, have decided to throw the double dribble in Davao our own charity basketball tournament in January. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. But, but you know, it's interesting to see that just two guys in one business can pull in such a vibrant little community. And that's all you really need to, to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I guess we didn't really answer the question, but uh, you got to make it your own beach, right? <laughs> I mean, there, there are so many good ones out there that probably don't have a lot of entrepreneurs yet, but you going there might just start it. Yeah. Um, Stephen Moody in the D.C. was mentioning uh, Da Nang, which has an international airport, beautiful beaches near Hoi An. And, and the, the title of the thread, which absolutely blew up, was the 2014, the year that the D.C. makes the city. That's possible. Um, in terms of things that are a little bit more established, maybe a place like Phuket, Boracay here in the Philippines, just a little bit more. And then to me, the ultimate destination still is Bali. Now, you're not going to be able to sit there and do your high frequency trading algorithms or run webinars from Bali, but you are going to be able to be around world class facilities and hang out with ballers. And when I look at the top 10 lifestyle destinations in the D.C. by membership, the only beach location that's in the top 10 is Bali. Yeah, um, I'd probably move, remove Phuket from that list. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's just me. I think that the tourist traps over there uh, in Patang is just, just, it's just too much for me. But maybe uh, something like Krabi, too, uh, down in Thailand. Maybe that might work. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. So, uh, in other words, create your own party if you want to have a good one. Good luck, James. You shouldn't. You, I mean, even just popping down to Koh Samui and Copenhagen, there's a lot of, it's getting started. You'll see guys that are playing poker, have a couple, couple websites, stuff like that. All right, Joe, what do you say we get moving on to the heart of this week's episode? That's what you guys say, right? Let's do it. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about five trends in remote working and team building. Just some things I've been seeing evolve over the last, and I really do think for as small and insignificant as our little tribe of, of digital nomads is, there are trends happening. Things are happening. I mean, if you look at the community in 2006, 2007, before Skype, absolutely just not much going on. Only the real technologists, the real bleeding edge. After 2008, it's exploding. And a lot of the assumptions that we jumped into the game with from things like 4-Hour Workweek or business advice books, they're just not what's happening in the community. So I thought we'd highlight some of these trends and, and things that are happening in team building. And I, I do think that this is related to what Ron Davidson was talking about in The Fourth Economy, which I prattle on about all the time in this book, is 
a lot of us have taken um, our third economy views, which is corporations and knowledge workers. Okay, get your college degree, plug you into a job somewhere. That's not really how we're hiring so much anymore. We're having to create narratives that inspire individuals to join our teams. And that's what Ron Davidson was talking about. You know, the key thing in the fourth economy is the organization of the self, that every person is sort of a free agent or their own little entrepreneur. And our role as build, building companies in this, this century is really about finding ways to get those entrepreneurs to collaborate and build something meaningful. Yeah, I mean, for definitely for hiring Westerners in an organization like ours, we have to have a compelling story. I hire a lot more Filipinos than you do, so maybe doesn't not so much on that end. But any Westerners, whether it be apprentice, interns, or actual employees that I want to attract to my company, I have to have something good going on above and beyond salary and benefits and silly stuff like that. Yeah, and another way we could say it is anybody with a world-class track record. Maybe in the third economy, would say world-class credential. Somebody who went to Harvard or somebody who went to a good school with a good program. Now we would say, if you look at your most recent apprentice's blog, selfstairway.com, mm-hmm. you know, that's like going to Cornell because he went out there, did something amazing, demonstrated that he's going to do that kind of work. And now he's in your organization. That same kind of work is going to happen for you. So, so the challenge is, is we're out of this credential thing, right? Where it's like, oh, you went to Cornell. That means you're going to get paid X at this kind of company. You're going to be at this level. Uh, and so that's the challenge that we're all facing, bootstrapping business in this environment. Yeah, I want to I see exactly what you've done online uh, before you come work for me. I think that's a big, good point to, to remember. All right, so five trends. Number one, distributed team, the term, replacing the term outsourcing, and thus team member replacing the term virtual assistant. In some ways, these te- terms outsourcing, virtual assistant, they're things that we grandfathered in from you know, okay, you're an executive at a small business in California. I'd like a virtual assistant to get me, get me uh, plane tickets, right? Or I'm a company in Texas. I would like to outsource someone to pick up my phone calls. That's not the future. That's yeah, not- it's not the present. I mean, you know, if you look at my company on the outsourcing side of the house, we have uh, a lot of customers that refer to their agents as virtual assistants, uh, and, and they work with them in that way. But on, on our side, you know, we're really hiring distributed team members. I don't really care where they are. Most happen to be in Davao, but they could be all around the Philippines and they all work from home. So, you know, we, we took some of those old terminology from the BPOs that were successful because, you know, in the, in originally I was trying to model those kind of companies. Sure. But now I realize when I'm doing my own products and services that I have to use a new paradigm. So. And we're saying like the move is then from arbitrage to optimization. So the answer isn't, oh, can you, you know, the, the old idea was uh, you make a bunch of money over here and then you have your operations over here and you sustain that arbitrage. But things are so fluid now. People can move so fast all around that it's more like where's the best place in the world to hire someone to do those kinds of actions rather than where can I get the biggest arbitrage off of off of that? Next trend, the rise of the lifestyle design job. That's not a great name for it, but whatever. <laughs> we don't know what it is yet, but we know what's happening. We look at uh, Remote, the new book by the guys at 37 Signals. They put up a job board. We work remotely. As you know, I used to have a defunct job board, Tropical Workforce. I think that this concept is so illegible that I, I, was, I was having a hard time 
getting great opportunities. You guys have managed to do the lifestyle design job many times now with success. There's a lot of challenges to doing that that I had a difficult time training people on, but I think this is going to be the norm. Companies have to have this. So uh, this one is just not for Westerners either. You know, all of the Filipinos that work for the Empire Flippers side of the house, none of them work in my office. All of them are distributed throughout the Philippines, work from home. And you know what? We find that we get more out of our employees by them working from home. Really? Yeah, they want to work more hours. They're more efficient with those hours. They're more comfortable. They're more willing to, 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 to work more for the company. So it absolutely is a paradigm shift that's coming and, and here to stay. I think one of the hardest things for people doing these lifestyle designs, so the, the tropical MBA lifestyle design job would be come live a life of adventure, get apprenticeship, make a quarter of what you'd make at your California entry-level job or maybe 33% of that. But there's a bunch of ways you can slice this. I think the, the mental challenge here is it used to be that you had an office and that by you know going through the interview process and dumping someone into that office, you automatically had a culture and something to join. What are you joining? The office. And you go there and you know what that's all about. Now, all of a sudden, you have to create that narrative for people to opt in virtually. And I think that's a challenge for people. Why are we all working together? What's our project? Why would I want to learn and embody the values of your organization? I mean, entrepreneurs got to get on this stuff. If you want to build a team, you have to have team values. You have to have a project. Your company has to have an agenda in the world. And that's why people like Vincent are going to fly around the world to come learn from you. Yeah. When Justin and I first opened an office in the Philippines, we thought it was going to be like, bean bags and game rooms and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we started building it out that way and just realized we would get more out of people by working from home. And not only that, it made for a better story, like you were saying. Yeah. And you can and you can still get everybody in a hotel, you know, once a quarter or, or twice a year. Well, and do you want someone working for you for bean bags and free Cokes? Or yeah. you got a guy like Vincent working for you because of transparency and because of helping people grow businesses and that's what he wants to be a part of. I think developing to me this is the biggest takeaway uh, that I see in this episode is this is the biggest challenge this can be accomplished by getting the SOD the mission statement what is it that you're doing and how can other people be a part of that that's essential to these new sort of distributed team things um, another thing I just think that's always fascinating about this is how you can create one of the most competitive cost structures in the world by doing this by by having a narrative rich business by creating an experience you could say rent out a resort or a house or whatever and go there for a, a, a three-month sprint and do it cheaper than any other company on the planet could do it. Yeah, you were talking that before the show. You know, you could just rent out one of these very small hotels on an island and basically have everybody's uh, room and board covered. Uh, and, and then they're working for you all the time and you're all around each other. I mean, I think that kind of startup culture is a very unique thing. And they could, yeah. they and people are saying, oh, I, oh, that's not how business is. Business is you go in at nine, you come out at five. You can't live with people. You can't. Go. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Oh, can you imagine going to the guy pre nine to five and being like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this card. And by the way, 100 years from now, it's going to be a key fob that electronically monitors you. <laughs> and I want you to check in at nine and I want to sit your ass there till five. Stone Age guy would be like, you know what? F you, bro. Right. <laughs> so look, there's no there's no rules here. That's kind of the exciting part. That's that's the exciting part of being the first person on the beach, like we were saying earlier, um, is that we're helping to define these things. And I think that's a real opportunity to go do stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny you should bring this kind of thing up because Justin and I 
Uh, when we had, we had a third partner back in 2005, we started a mortgage business. We started it out of um, uh, one of those little McMansions in California. So right. we were all living together. And I tell you, if we had only had the technology and the ability and the thought to be able to do that on a beach in Thailand or the Philippines, we would have been much more successful. We would have been so much more motivated to be around that culture and make it successful rather than, you know, lunchtime going down to McDonald's uh, in, you know, California suburbia yeah. and then have to go back to the to the telephones. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we talked about the movement from this is the, the third trend. Hyper agile done for you services and SaaS products replacing Odesk contractors and Elance contractors. You know, in 2007, 2008, there's sort of this rush into, all right, well, I got to get project jobbers that are arbitrage to do all these kinds of uh, per job. Now it's going to be more things like you're going to go to places like Fiverr to have either crowdsource stuff or you're going to go to these hyper-specialized services like Ben Kruger from Authority Engine, uh, John McIntyre, these kinds of uh, autoresponder done for you. You're not going to go to Elance and say, hey, I need an autoresponder anymore. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways from this episode. So, you know, when I suggest services to people, I'm stopping most of the time to suggest Odesk anymore. I, I'll go out and look for like a done for you service because they get a flat fee and they get an expert in that field instead yeah. of having to get an Odesk assistant and explain to him what you want done and he's never done it before and he has to fumble his way through it and winds up costing you a whole bunch more. Well, and that's just the thing. So we all did this. We heard about this stuff in 2008 and then we spent all of our time managing these bozos for what we thought was an arbitrage opportunity, but really was an opportunity for us to waste our time, but actually cut our teeth on this idea of hyper-globalization. Now you've got these people that have come in, intelligent entrepreneurs like like us, people that listen to this show, they come in and they just overlay a service layer on top of the Odesk and then they charge a 25% premium and you still save money. I mean, that's some of the products and services we offer. That's exactly what we do. So, there you, go. you know, content services, keyword research services, this is this is what we're doing um, for, for niche site builders. And I think that uh, that's what other people should look for when they want a specialty kind of thing done. Trend number four, people don't care where your people are as long as they've got the t-shirt on. I just think the stigma to all this, oh, there's someone in the Philippines picking up your phone. Remember that? I yeah. used, And still, I always joke around. If you call like American Express or something, it's like, hello, sir. And you can still hear like the little tinge. I'm like, where are you? And they're like, they have this script of what they say. It's like, you know, yeah. not for the next century, please. Uh, let's have a little bit of pride in our location, uh, especially if we chose it. Uh, sir, I'm in Manila, Philippines, and I've got the T-shirt on, and I'm empowered to solve your problem. Yeah, MLB TV, they're, they're old. I'm not sure if it's anymore, but their customer service used to be out of the Philippines. So <laughs> here's a, a, a country that knows nothing about baseball, you know, <laughs> serving up customer service to, to MLB subscribers. But yeah. Uh, and that's an issue in optimization too, right? You don't want you, you to hire people that know nothing about your product unless you're willing to train them. Right. That's so that was the cool thing is they they knew the product very well and they were able to answer my questions and they were able to get everything done for me. So I didn't care that they were from the Philippines. You know, that doesn't matter for me. So finally, uh, our final point here is the Philippines is losing its preeminence as the place to hire virtual workers. Um, this is something I've been bringing up with a lot of people in the community lately. Remember in 2007, it was India. And then everybody sort of figured out India or whatever. India right. sort of lost their edge for the internet entrepreneurs. Um, then it was the Philippines. And I still believe the Philippines is a great place and all that. But the thing about it is, is 
their advantage has always been English. And what I'm seeing on the ground is that advantage eroding. When in 2008, when I lived in Vietnam, only the top of the crop really spoke English. Now you have this whole new wave of, of graduates that have gone through the system. Obviously, there's a young population, so tons of tons and tons of hiring pool speaking English. So I'll disagree with you a little bit here. Sure. Um, maybe it's starting, but I still think the fact that fundamentally the Philippines culture is built around English. Um, you know, the road signs here, yeah. the contracts, the laws, everything's in English. So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to come here and you want to fundamentally understand the place, it's very, very easy. I think in a hundred years that most of the regional dialects and, and languages like Visaya will be totally gone. Um, and Tagalog will be hanging on by a thread. So, you know, you absolutely could have um, kids that have an American type accent and American type look on the world. And, and that's, that's going to be big. Now, what I think what Vietnam and all these other places have uh, in their future are really high level educated people. I think yes. that's what the Philippines. Well, here's lacks. the interesting thing. And, and I think this, that's, that's what I'm seeing is that the de facto language in Southeast Asia is English everywhere. And, and what's going to happen in a place like Indonesia with just as much infrastructure challenge, just as much regional dialect, what are they going to speak? Mm-hmm. And what are they going to master in for their, for their professional career? I'm, I'm just seeing it happen more. And what's happening in a place like Vietnam and, and in Indonesia with a bit stronger culture, a bit better education, is you're having higher quality workers who understand the standards better than some of the education I'm seeing here. Yeah, I mean, one of the the biggest drawbacks to the Philippines has always been that they're very process driven, right? You need that A through Z yeah. process, and then if if something got mixed up or varied at letter M, they they got lost, and and that was probably a fundamental educational challenge uh, that the Philippines has. I don't think. I hope that, you know, they'll all be able to overcome that one day. But if Vietnam or Indonesia can provide better educated people, that will be their their unique. Yes. Sort of and maybe advantage. the Empire Flippers would have been based out of Indonesia, a country that I'm actually looking forward to getting to know a little bit better here in the next few years. I think Indonesia is an up and comer, man. Yeah. 17,000 islands. Can you imagine the infrastructure challenges of governing a country with 17,000 islands? I'm still worried about the contract stuff. So, I mean, you, you, you don't worry about that at all. You don't worry that, like, you're, you, you signed something that's translated that wasn't written. I love your point about the Philippines with the contracts, and it's absolutely true. However, businesses like ours don't need that kind of stuff so much. Put your contracts in Singapore and yeah. hire your operation here. I used to make a lot of book recommendations on the podcast. I'll just toss one out that I read recently. It's called Hatching Twitter. And it's the story of Twitter from scratch, written by uh, a journalist who sat down with everybody, tons of interviews. It's It reads like a Shakespearean drama. It reminds me of the tension, the passion, the difficulty of growing something meaningful. And uh, it also talks about the importance of establishing and maintaining power in any business. Uh, in particular, when it's Twitter and you're taking over the world, these power struggles become real, and, but they're even real in, in smaller businesses. And I, so I think taking a look at hatching Twitter is a very interesting case study. And Justin and I love the, the corporate political game. That was something <laughs> that we used to pride ourselves on doing very, very well together. So. Speaking of the corporate political game, just as like a send off, 
I, I dug up this email that my one of my original ben, business mentors sent me, and I don't. I want to share with what his perspective was at me at the time because it wasn't very flattering. And I don't know. I don't want to do this to, to say anything bad about him or myself. I just want to share where I was at this time. So here's what he wrote. I wrote a Jerry Maguire email to this guy, right? I'm reading all these books at this time. I'm high on my own supply. I think I'm hot shit. And so I sent him this email like, we got to do this. We got to do all this. And here was his response. Who wouldn't want a job where you can just strategize about stuff, have equity ownership, make lifestyle a priority, and work with people who share your values? Maybe you're smart enough to pull it off, but I've not really seen that kind of thing too often in my career. I don't think I've ever seen it in the case where someone is building something of real value. One of the things I have not really seen you demonstrate is the ability to stick with something for a significant period of time. Maybe that's how you want it, but ultimately in your career, I think it could become a liability. All right, so you pulled a, a different lesson. I'm interested about your perspective here. This was pretty much the beginning of the end for us, right? And I guess one of the lessons I draw from that is I could, because he was in a power position, I could have believed him and I could have believed that what turns out to be one of my strengths in our business is that I do constantly move on and look at different things. I could have looked at that as a weakness and I could have tried to fix it and follow what he's seen in his career. Like, I I don't know, maybe the idea that he felt like he needed to work with people that didn't share his values was 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 maybe like the tell for me. It was such a ridiculous position that I was like, maybe he's wrong about this other stuff too. And I don't know if he's wrong or right, but at that moment I decided that instead of changing my heart, I would change my venue. Yeah, and I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, uh, and, and the way you've worded it now, the heart thing, I think that, you know, your your fundamental differences there, that was why it was the end. So you have a fundamental different approach to business, whereas you want other people that that believe in you and, and think about the world in a similar way and have the same feelings towards the business and and want to be creative and all this this kind of stuff. And he says that doesn't matter. I just want the best employee. Right? I just want the the largest margins. And he doesn't understand that that having your heart in the game is going to lead to the highest margins at the end of the day. Having that team that's all focused on that one goal that are thinking alike is going to make that profitability so much easier. Yeah, well, that, and that Justin, your business partner, talks about this too, is, is, is believing in your principles and building a business around them. And that's cool. Like you don't have to do the things that have created success for other people. And I bring this up because a lot of a lot of the uh, internet marketing podcasts, it's sort of like, hey, we figured it out. Do, do what Empire Flippers did. Do what Tropical MBA did. That's how you do it. And that's not how you do it. You do it by finding what clicks with you and taking advantage of your best self. Because for me and you, it took half a decade to grow a business. And so you can't kid yourself for half a decade. I can't. Yeah. I mean, you you got to give your business your best self in particular to get it off the ground. Absolutely. And you have to find the best people to work with. So to come back to you know what this whole episode was about, distributed teams, I mean, I think that having those teams and making sure they work well with you and are in your same mindset, that's so important, better than the he's a good employee kind of model. Yeah. And well, so now while we're just absolutely waxing philosophical, uh, some people are probably wondering why Ian isn't here. Ian 
flew off to Amsterdam for a month of, well, just awesomeness hanging out in Europe. And so we just couldn't coordinate schedules this week. Speaking of working with awesome people, but also some people might remember that he reached out to a race car driver a few episodes ago and that guy died doing what he loved, but he died in a car. And it, it just makes me think, man, stick with what you <laughs> just please just do what you do, what you believe in, because, right. man, it, it can end quick. So, yeah, I, I think that that's uh, the moral of the story for me. I mean, when I was working the corporate job and just not loving life, and now I look at what we've done over the last week where, hey, we're, we're working hard. We're working every day, but we're also enjoying ourselves, too. Yeah. You know, out on a boat. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to hear philosophical junk from us? All right. Hey, this one is tropicalmba.com slash remote if you want to get the links to everything that we're talking about in this episode. Thanks, Joe, for joining me and helping me get this uh, podcast out on time. So we'll see you guys next Thursday morning on the Tropical MBA podcast, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye-bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you.